Chapter thirty six of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Among the Indian Farmers. The East Indians are a nation of farmers. Two thirds of them live by tilling the soil, and the country, all told, has more farmers than there are people in North and South America. As we have already learned, the peninsula of Hindustan has almost every variety of soil and climate, and it therefore produces all sorts of crops. In the high, dry lands of the northwest, great quantities of excellent wheat are raised, while the valley of the Ganges and other lowlands yield the finest of rice. Rice is one of the chief crops wherever the rainfall is heavy, and in the hot soils near Madras, where the lands can be irrigated, three crops are often raised in one year. In some parts of India, the wheat is grown on irrigated lands, and in others the crop depends on the rains brought by the moisture-laden winds from the Indian Ocean. But let us go out into the country and see how the farming is done. The fields are usually small, and the methods are rude. See that man plowing? He is a well-to-do farmer, for he has on a turban and more clothes than the ordinary man. He is driving two bullocks yoked to what seems little more than a stick shod with iron. That is the Hindu plow. It is so light that the man can carry it out to the field on his shoulders, and so formed that it only scratches the soil. Nevertheless, the fields are gone over again and again, and the land is fairly well tilled, producing large crops. As we go on, we see but little machinery. The grain is cut with a sickle, and the wheat is sometimes pulled up by the roots. Wheat is threshed by being trodden out by bullocks and buffaloes, and is then winnowed in the wind. The straw is saved for feeding the cattle, but there are no barns to be seen, and no elevators such as we have in our wheat lands. The grain is piled up on the ground until it can be shipped to the market. This is very wasteful, and better methods are being introduced into many parts of the country. Among the crops raised in large quantities are cotton, jute, millet, sugar, and beans. Coffee is grown in Madras and tea in the Himalaya Mountains. The sugar made is from cane, which thrives upon the Great Plain and in Burma. Millet and beans are to be found almost everywhere, and they form a large part of the food of the people. Cotton is India's chief fiber crop. The cotton plant grows wild in some parts of hindustan and many believe that it originally came from here although the united states produces a far better cotton than any indian cotton ever grown the fiber of the indian cotton is short and for this reason it is sometimes used to mix with wool for which purpose it brings a higher price in our markets than some better cottons the east indians manufacture it into a coarse cloth which is used throughout india and which on account of its low price competes with our cotton in africa and asia the crop is grown about bombay and in madras and on the great northern plain it is planted in june and is ripe in the middle of the winter the picking season beginning in january and lasting through march one of the most interesting crops of hindustan depends for its sale largely upon the american market we use some of it every week in washing our clothes, and it forms a part of many of our paints, dyes, and other coloring materials. This is indigo. 
Hundreds of thousands of acres are devoted to it, and we can learn all about how it is raised. Indigo comes from a reed, which grows to a height of from three to five feet. When the plants are ready to flower, they are cut off close to the ground, tied up in small bundles, and thrown into large vats of water. After about ten hours, they begin to ferment. The water turns yellow, and it is then run off into other vats in which half-naked men stand and whip the fluid with long bamboo sticks, keeping it constantly in motion for two or three hours. During this process, the color changes from yellow to green, and the particles of blue indigo rise in flakes. The liquor is then allowed to settle when the flakes sink to the bottom, forming a sediment which is indigo. The water is now drawn off, and the indigo is boiled and pressed into cakes to be shipped to the markets. There is another plant raised in India in which we are especially interested, for it gives us linseed oil, which, when mixed with paint, aids in protecting our houses from the weather. It also forms a part of the oilcloth on the floors of our kitchens and bathrooms, and is used for making waterproof coverings for carriages, automobiles, and other such things. This is the flax plant, the same as that from the fibers of which, when grown in temperate climates, linen is made. The flax of India, however, is not good for cloth. It is raised for the seeds, which are full of this oil, and which, when pressed, yield the linseed oil of commerce. The plants are grown from the seeds, which are drilled in rows about one foot apart. They soon sprout and grow to a height of about two feet. While still green, they blossom out into beautiful flowers of pale blue. By and by, the flowers fall, and the little round fruit or seed pods appear. Every pod has ten divisions, each containing one seed. The seeds are smooth, shining, and of a flat oval shape. They have a rich chestnut color and look just like our flax seeds at home. They are threshed out with flails and winnowed by throwing them up into the air while the wind blows. A good crop should yield about 500 pounds of seeds to the acre, and hundreds of millions of pounds are raised every year. Is it not strange that these people of East India, away off on the other side of the globe, should be aiding us in making the paint for our houses? This is only one of many things which show us how all the nations of the world are always engaged in trading with and helping one another. We have seen the Chinese and Japanese children picking the tea leaves we use on our tables, and in Malaysia have watched the little brown people gathering the pepper that flavors our food. Everywhere we go, we find the natives using something or other which has come from our country. Here they are lighting their homes with American petroleum. There they are clad in American cotton, and in many places they employ American machinery. We thus learn that we are tied to almost every people on earth by what we do for them and what they are doing for us. We shall find this the case with many other things in India. Take, for instance, the jute plant, which thrives in a low sandy soil along the banks of the Indian rivers. It has a coarse fiber which is so long and strong that it makes excellent bagging. This plant is grown for the most part to supply the demands of our cotton plantations. It is used to wrap around the bales of raw cotton and also as a strong and firm cloth for all sorts of rough use. In raising jute, 
the seed is sown broadcast in april and by august the plants have grown to a height of a man's head as he sits upon horseback and are ready for cutting they are cut off close to the ground and are tied up into bundles which are thrown into water that the outer skin or bark may be rotted off after a time this skin can be pulled away when the fibers within which are long straight and silky are separated and washed they are then dried and put up into bales of four hundred pounds each ready to be sent to the mills or the markets the exports as jute and jute cloth amount to many millions of dollars a year we have beautiful poppies in america but they are grown in our flower gardens india has vast fields of poppies cultivated not for show but for the making of opium we see many such fields as we travel over the country they are planted under the direction of the british government which receives millions of dollars every year from the sale of this drug the laws provide that no farmer can raise poppies without the permission of the government officials and that every one who does so must agree to sell the whole of his crop to the government the poppy seeds are sown in november and the plants are ploughed and weeded from that time until february when they burst out into beautiful flowers as the blossoms are just ready to fall the capsules to which they are fastened are cut or scratched with a thin piece of iron this is done in the evening and by the next morning a thick juice has oozed out on each capsule this juice is opium it is of a milky white color at first but it gradually changes to a rose red it is scraped from the plant and saved it takes a great many plants to make much opium the farmer rubs the scrapings of each capsule into the palm of his left hand until he has collected several ounces when he puts them into an earthen jar after he has gathered his whole crop he turns the jars over to the government and receives the regular price for them the officials take the jars and from their contents manufacture the opium of commerce some of the crop is consumed in india and during the past a great deal has gone to china much is shipped to europe and some to the united states opium is of great value as a medicine but those who eat or smoke it soon find that they cannot get along without it they become opium drunkards and it destroys their bodies and minds in traveling over india we see large areas of irrigated lands this is especially true of the wide northern plain which has been made by the earth washings brought down from the himalayas by the great rivers these rivers are still carrying loads of rich silt which adds to the crops wherever it can be spread over the fields in this way the irrigating canals bring both food and drink to the plants moreover there are many places in hindustan where the rainfall is scanty some of the lands of such regions have likewise been irrigated and it is calculated that more than one hundred million acres of them have thus been turned into farms indeed india has so many irrigating canals that if they were joined end to end they would form a ditch long enough to reach twice around the world a great deal of the irrigation is by means of wells the water being raised from one level to another on wheels turned by bullocks or in large bags of cowskin which are dipped into the wells and then emptied into troughs from which the water flows into canals the people of india have long been farming by means of irrigation but the greater part of the canals now in use 
were constructed by the British government, which is doing all it can to raise enough food for the people. The population is so enormous that a bad season or drought is like to cause famine, and in the past, millions have been starved at such times. This can be prevented only by the proper cultivation of the land, and the government is trying to teach the people better farming. It has established an agricultural department and many experiment stations where skilled men are testing new crops and seeds. There are also lecturers who go about among the farmers, telling them how to till their lands and what crops it will best pay to raise. End of chapter 36